Re is a podcast brought to you by New Heights Church, a church located in Mission, B.C., focused on being church with mission in mind. We are your hosts, Jessica Stefik and Greg Elford. And this is the Read Podcast, the prefix that hopes for more than we had before. Today, reassembling the church. In the midst of mandated isolation and a virus that has scattered the church, we reference the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic to dig deeper into how a pre-COVID church already largely had been seeing new forms of social distancing. Join us as we ask, what is similar between a pandemic virus and the cultural shift in the way the church in Canada has been reduced and people have distanced themselves from the spiritual family's public gathering? With this in mind, we turn to our guest expert, Ms. L. Pike. Church isn't cool. Like, what is cool about loving your neighbor or loving your enemies? That's the genius of church, of, of Christian community, of family. L. Pike is one of the founders of New Leaf Network, which is a Canada-wide church planting and starters group that crosses denominational lines and pushes for innovative expressions of church in the 21st century. She lives in Kitchener, Ontario, and has a growing presence among innovative and otherwise church planting work in all regions of Canada. Welcome, Elle. So this is our first podcast, and we are so extra grateful that you would believe in this enough already to actually take some of your valuable time to be here with us virtually from several provinces away. Uh, just so you know, Jess Stefik is the other voice on the line. Why don't I introduce her? You can say hi to each other. Hey, Elle. <laughs> hi, Jess. That was intense. That was great. <laughs> So we are so interested to hear your perspective on what's happening in the church in Canada these days, but we also would love to get to know you a little bit. So to get us started, Elle, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in so many conversations about the state of the church in Canada? Sure. So my name is Elle Pike. I live in Kitchener-Waterloo in uh, the great province of Ontario. So my story of how I got involved in this work is kind of interesting and weird and a little twisty. Through all sorts of random occurrences, I ended up starting a business with two friends of mine um, and found myself deeply enmeshed in the startup world in Kitchener-Waterloo. I was so inspired by the entrepreneurs and the interesting conversations that they were having. Um, and I just really found myself wondering like, what on earth am I doing here? And why aren't more Christians and more uh, pastors and more ministry leaders also involved in these conversations about innovation and inspiration and how to change things. And so I started getting this um, interest for how churches start. And I had really never had that before. All of that innovation got me excited about seeing innovation in the church. And so now I get to uh, work with New Leaf and support and equip church planters and spiritual entrepreneurs and missional practitioners. And really, we are trying to help cultivate and create Jesus-centered leaders that are living in a community of innovation and trying to lead from the emerging future. So that's kind of how I found myself in these conversations. Awesome. Thanks, Elle. I know every time that I talk to you, I hear your passion for what's happening in Canada just ooze out of you. And so we're excited to kind of survey the topic with you today. 
Um, we are starting this podcast. We're calling it Re, the prefix that hopes for more than it had before. And our hope is to see new ways of seeing things that add nuance and that educate us a bit to say maybe there's things that we have assumed about church or about other topics that could be nuanced by uh, someone that's always thinking about it in a way that would encourage us or stimulate uh, new thinking. So our first episode here, we're talking about reassembling as a church, and we're kind of using COVID-19 as a metaphor, saying that there's already been this cultural shift where churches have um, largely been decreasing in size. And so as we've been thinking about um, what's happening during the pandemic, and uh, we know that's a reality in Ontario where churches probably are facing it even to even greater degrees than we are here in BC. But um, we hear murmurs from friends who are almost craving a good reason to work their way out of Sunday morning anyway, and are kind of seeing COVID as their guilt-free pass to not be part of the Sunday morning gathering. So I'm just curious, do you see a parallel or something that kind of makes the point of what was already happening to people's uh, participation in certainly the Sunday morning aspect of church uh, around how COVID has rearranged things? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have a good parallel, but I, I resonate very much with what you're saying. Um, and I also think kind of the funny thing too is uh, when COVID first hit, just seeing uh, churches pivot to online experiences and quickly trying to do things um, to kind of, what are we going to do with the Sunday gathering? How are we going to get the Sunday gathering online? How are we going to get people together for Sunday? My favorite line was like, oh friend, your ecclesiology is showing. <laughs> and uh you know, I, I didn't mean it in a negative sense, but you just started realizing how much time, effort, money, work was put into the Sunday experience to then try to um, put that online for a lot of churches. Um, you just started seeing that was essentially the heart and the makeup of, of their church was the Sunday morning gathering. And for a lot of us churches um, and leaders and you guys included, we don't want Sunday to be the only thing. So I think... Um, I think you're right. I think people who were one foot out the door, this was a very convenient reason to keep walking. But I also think hopefully it uncovered a few things about churches, church leadership and what we're doing um, to hopefully have us reassess a little bit. So Elle, we're asking our experts to help us with the posture with which we should take a look at this conversation. So is there a reword that you think is the right posture that we can take to wade into this dialogue about the church in Canada? This is a great question. Uh, I think I'm going to kind of make up a word. Well, not totally make up a word, but use the re in the sentence. So I think in these conversations, especially during this time, I, I want people to reignite their curiosity. Um, I have a belief that you're, you're only like one or two questions away from a fascinating thing. And there's something uh, about curious people, whether they're curious about you and they're listening and asking questions or just curious people in general, I, I think is a posture that the church in Canada should um, be looking for um, right now. I think curiosity will breed a lot more positive change. Thanks, Al. So we've intuitively felt the change in the way church doesn't occupy a central role in Canada's culture anymore, and it's been this way for a couple years now. So I'm curious if you have a metric or some kind of way for helping us know from a statistical view what the state of the Canadian church really looks like. 
Well, I mean, I can take a couple guesses. Um, I mean, over the last few years, we've seen, um, there's been a great CBC article that came out. It was a national charity that uh, works to save old buildings. And they estimated that 9,000 religious spaces in Canada would be lost in the next decade. So I think that math ended up being like a third of all faith-owned buildings in the country would close. Um, lest we think that's just the main line, uh, as sometimes evangelicals are tempted to do, um, I don't have it on perfect authority, but there hasn't been a denomination that we have been in contact with over the last number of years that hasn't been in decline um, or at least significant plateau. So there's uh, entire sections of denominations in Canada who have even abandoned church planting um, and trying to shift their efforts more toward revitalization or renewal for existing congregations. So, um, you know, we can get into the stats about some of the nuns and, and that stuff later if that's helpful. Who are the nuns, Al? <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah. Not our sisters uh, with little habits. No, um, their nuns are uh, th those who would say they have no religious affiliation. And then duns would be people who say, I used to go to church and, I, and I'm done with it. Um, maybe not done with Jesus, but certainly done with being a part of a faith community. I'm curious uh, if we could have kind of some concrete numbers around the nuns and the duns. So we've heard this reference, some of us in different contexts. But um, when we think about how uh, across the country this is something we're experiencing as Canadians, um, how, how serious is it? Like how many people are really categorizing themselves as irreligious or done with what used to be their religion? Yeah, so I, I am not uh, a sociologist, but I have had the privilege of working and connecting with two sociologists here in Canada. Um, Joel Thiessen from Ambrose University and Sarah Wilkins Laflemme from the University of Waterloo. They've done a ton of work together. We've, we've done work with them on New Leaf. And so they've taken some of the national um, household survey data and kind of crunched the numbers for us. So the fastest growing religious de designation in Canada, uh, meaning um, the fastest growing religion in Canada is actually people who say they have no religion. So as of 2011, um, it, 44% of adults in British Columbia would say they have no religion. Um, and then as you kind of go across the country back toward the east, um, it just gets, the percentage gets a bit lower. Um, but overall throughout Canada, I think when you average out the number, it's 24% of Canadian adults say they have no religious affiliation. So sometimes we hear the narrative that it's another religion that might be growing or it's uh, or Christianity is still uh, growing. And um, unfortunately the data doesn't bear that out. It's actually people who say I, I have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And I'm curious, and maybe, maybe you don't have access to this offhand, but I'm curious if uh, generationally they've done some research around which age groups are, um, are, are more so saying that. Yeah, so the millennial generation, so um, I'll say maybe 40% from some of the work that they would be doing. This, a lot of this um, data has been collected from 1985 to 2016, so it'd be like 40% of the millennial generation would say that they have uh, no religious affiliation, 30% of Gen Xers, I think, 25% uh, of boomers, and maybe 10% of um, the, the silent generation. So. Uh, born between 1925 and 1944. So the younger you get, the higher the rise. And there is 
some data to back up why that might be. Um, like if your parents didn't go to church, they weren't brought up in an, a religious environment, it's very likely that unlikely that you will then go to church. So some of it has to do with if you start to have generations of people who don't go to church, they're likely going to have kids who also don't go to church. So, and it's not just um, Christianity that's experiencing this phenomenon in Canada. It's actually every religion that exists here is is um, experiencing a decline. That really leads right into our next question. Um, we're curious, uh, as someone who's found a lot of value in my church experience, and and granted, it hasn't been the same as anyone else's, but uh, I've also found a lot of a lot of value of being in community with other followers of Jesus. And so I'm curious um, as to some of the reasons or why you might think many people have lost interest in church. Uh, and you referenced a couple, but like I'm wondering if there's if there's topics or if there's um, things that people have uh, in particular kind of grabbed onto as as reasons that the church is outdated or Christianity is, is yeah. a farce. Well, some of the data that's coming from our sociologist friends, when they actually do the qualitative and the quantitative, so the, the numbers and then actually having interviews with people, um, some people have just moved on because they don't believe anymore. There is like a part of that aspect where, uh, you know what, I grew up with this, I went to university, realized Christianity wasn't intellectually honest, didn't match with the things that I was learning, therefore I left. Other people leave for reasons, um, at least from the data that's telling us like hypocrisy. So they feel that sometimes the church is really hypocritical. Um, they don't like the leadership structures or the stances that people take, who's in, who's out. Um, and then just a, a sense of like, um, something better comes along like hey my kids are in hockey now on Sundays so you know I'd rather go do that you know the hemorrhaging faith study that was one that was 2011 the EFC did that and they had some statistics just and and that was some of the things that they actually came up with and those would have been like um, younger folks who were saying that of just like I don't buy this anymore I'm not interested in it it's not it's not meeting any need that I have um, and um, they just, they stopped identifying with themselves. The, the judgment, the exclusivity, the failure. Um, the Hemorrhaging Faith Study was one in three Canadian young adults who attended church weekly as a child still do so. So it means that, um, like, that's not a lot that have are left and half have stopped identifying as Christians. So that's Canadian evangelical EFC stats. Like, um, so we are hemorrhaging. I think they were right to call it that. Um, and I, as I said before, I hope people are, are paying attention. So Elle, as a younger person or someone in my 20s, um, there's definitely been moments where I've been uninterested or turned off by church um, and lots of friends who've had legitimate reasons to make an exit from traditional church. Um, can You've already said that you've seen this as a trend among younger people, but I'm wondering what makes younger people stay because obviously there's lots of reasons younger people go um, you talked about kind of the feeling of inauthenticity um, and church just being trendy but not really making a difference in people's life what kind of sets apart church I guess for those in my age who do stay yeah that's a good question geez I, I really don't have like the world's best answer but I guess what I what I've seen 
um, you kind of touched on a little bit with your comment about authenticity. Um, we, we are in the age of authenticity. If you buy into Charles Taylor's work in the, his book, The Secular Age, this, this concept that people are looking for transparency and honesty and vulnerability. And historically, <laughs> at least in the years I've been alive, the church has not necessarily done very well at that. Uh, we, we haven't been honest about our struggles. We haven't been honest about our failures. We haven't been honest about our doubts. Uh, we haven't been honest about that. And when you are experiencing life uh, outside of church and you're seeing people being authentic, maybe sometimes too authentic, maybe too vulnerable, putting it all out there. And then your experience of churches, actually we keep it all in and we put on a nice polished facade. I think that can be off-putting. Um, I hope that the church comes to a place. So I often think about, um, oh, I don't mean to dog on Hillsong, but I often think about a church like Hillsong. And I, I often wish or wonder, maybe they do this, but if they don't, I wish they would. It's just to be honest with young adults that come through their doors that like at some point this lights and, and the, the smoke and this whole show of what you're experiencing, um, you'll doubt it. You might deconstruct it but don't deconstruct Jesus. Like don't actually throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like um, all the trappings of what's around you isn't actually, um, it's important maybe for a time and a season. If I was 18, I'm sure that I would be at a Hillsong church, uh, you know, like, so I, it has its place, but just if we could be honest with people that you will go on a faith journey, you will deconstruct. Um, and it's okay to question, it's okay to have doubts, but to find a faith community that will walk with you and alongside of you, like church isn't cool. I don't, I don't know. It's just not, it's not, it's not a cool thing. Like what is cool about loving your neighbor or loving your enemies or sitting in a space with people that you're like, I would not hang out with that guy on a Saturday night if you paid me money. Like that, that's the genius of church, of, of Christian community, of family. And I think to um, not emphasize those parts of church is actually probably doing a disservice to young people because, yeah, I deconstructed my faith. I absolutely did, but I reconstructed it. And had I not had people on the journey with me telling me this is a normal part of what it means to be, to have spiritual formation. This is a, a normal part of what it means to follow Christ. I don't know where I would be. So I hope more churches can offer that to young people. Oh, I think you said that really well. And as a brand new 40-year-old, I call myself Gen X millennial, kind of the elder millennial. And um, it, it's weird to not be the young person anymore in the in the crowd. But um, I'm curious, like, what role do you think um, people that are a bit older, like, don't don't these young folks need some direction? Like, don't don't they need kind of people to offer a little bit of like guidance or is there a sense that there's a there's there's a need for young people to be be called to something where they kind of and I'm being a bit cheeky here, but like submit themselves to people that have gone before them and have a voice that can speak into things they don't know that they don't know. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I I think I think that there is a place for that, but in like a a mentorship like like a helper, not like a I'm looking down on you because I've lived this great life and you need to know like relationship builds at the speed of trust. So you have to cultivate trust. You have to cultivate um, a connection with somebody. And then, yeah, like if, if young people don't want to mentor now, 
they one day will. <laughs> I know how important it has been for me to have a mentor. And I think it's the posture with which you offer mentorship and, and friendship to someone that's younger that's super important. Because if you, we made mistakes. I made mistakes, elder millennial Greg, you made mistakes. And I, I hate to admit it, but some of those mistakes, they hurt, but they also taught me a lot of things. And you have to sort of give room, I think, for people to flex, to make mistakes. And then as a mentor to walk alongside of those people to, to be there with them when they do make some of those mistakes. One of the things from my personal experience was being invited into two different internships in my early days as like someone exploring leadership. And in one, I was asked to fold bulletins basically was sort of the level of responsibility. And then the other, I was asked to do things that were completely outside of my comfort zone. And like I was terrified by, but the one that I was terrified by ended up being the one that really grabbed onto me where I thought, wow, like I'm actually part of something that matters enough that I can't do this without maybe connecting somehow to the presence of God working with me and through me in this. Um, so I definitely, I definitely resonate with what you're saying. Um, switching topics a bit. Uh, one of the things I've noticed as the church um, and churches around us have been struggling with attendance and viability around having enough resources to s keep the doors open, especially as they're uh, financing buildings that have a like aging um, roofs and like furnaces and things that are needing to be replaced. And we know that story kind of repeats all over Canada. Um, it seems like there's two sort of responses that um, you know, I don't have any data to back this up, but it seems like there's there's one philosophy that says if we can circle the wagons and bring people from different denominations under the same roof, we can almost keep the dream alive. We can keep going uh, with something that's been working uh, kind of through the last hundred years. And and maybe if we if we have enough people to create critical mass, we can maintain some of those traditional programs that were so meaningful to us 30 or 40 years ago. And then there's another camp that's sort of saying, you know, it's time to innovate. It's time to reimagine how we can do things. And so I'm curious, have you seen those sort of pol polarities where um, that's been happening and those two different philosophies expressing themselves? Yes, absolutely. I think that that's an, um, a really great way to summarize, I think, what people um, are experiencing. And, you know, it's funny. I have a lot of empathy for some older folks who uh, at one time or another perhaps were a part of a congregation that was blossoming, that was like, you just opened the doors of the church and people fell right in. Like, there are stories that you hear and, you know, to put myself in their shoes in that moment they would probably, it would have felt amazing to be like, oh my gosh, our Sunday school room has 400 children. I don't know what we're going to do. Like, um, so I have empathy for people who have the impulse to go back, but I also hope that people can see that the trajectory through scripture never really seems to be going backward. There seems to be a, a pull. Um, the spirit is pulling us forward, moving us in this trajectory that's moving, that's moving forward. Um, it doesn't seem to be like, go on back all the time. It feels like Jesus, um, and then obviously the apostles, and, and that the whole New Testament early church is just, they're moving forward. They're going, they're moving, they're trying. And I, I hope that people 
understand and can come to a place of understanding, I guess, or, or at least acknowledgement that um, if we, and this is a quote I say a lot, but this concept of like, if you get like what you're getting, if you really like the results of what you're getting, then keep doing what you're doing. But if you don't like what you're getting, then you have to try something different. I want people to come to a posture of listening and learning about innovation with an, also with empathy to realize that um, it must be hard to be living in an age of decline. Um, there's some ministers that I talked to who literally their entire career has just been, well, I started with the church of 400 and now we have a church of a hundred. And it's like, you have to have a bit of empathy in there to have seen that. But the hope is that that decline would, and that bump from the spirit would be like, okay, it's time. You better try something new here. So I, you and I've talked before about this L, but just for the sake of our listeners, um, we've, it's interesting with folks that are kind of coming up out of uh, Bible school or that are in their 20s, the idea of planting a church even sounds like something, no thanks, hard pass, not interested, because it doesn't sound inspiring somehow. But when you start to speak of spiritual community or Jesus-focused way of living, life-on-life -life community, uh, you, you see people's ears uh, perk up. Do you think you can articulate maybe what is going on in a younger person when they feel a tension between something that's called church planting, um, which, you know, for many of us, we would say is sort of defined by a sent out spiritual Jesus following community. Uh, but just the, the shift in language seems to really make an impact. Yeah, I think that people just have baggage with the word church. So if you are in our culture today and in our context, um, some people have had really terrible experiences in the church. And so when you think, hopefully, if you're thinking missionally and you're thinking about trying to plant a church, not just to uh, move around uh, different Christians, like, oh, we'll take from this church and bring them to ours. If you're actually thinking missionally, then the word church can be a bit of a barrier for people. Um, so I understand the hesitancy to not want to plant uh, a church, quote unquote, um, I also think that there's something about about taking away that barrier in some ways and using different language, language that would resonate more with people, um, language that is actually more true to what we do at church. Because the reasons that we come together to do this is because there is something beautiful when we connect with one another, when we we have Eucharist together, when we um, experience prayer together, when we when we um, do the things that we do as church. And so I understand the hesitancy. Um, to want to necessarily label it that way. I also think we don't really know where we're going in the sense of, I can't really say to a community, like I couldn't really say with um, total, you know, authority, what kind of church mission BC needs. I, the Holy Spirit's already at work in mission. Uh, so, you know, I would hope that people could be in that community, discern where the spirit's already at work and then form Christian community around that. So I think sometimes the idea of church as itself in that word and that container feels like, oh, well, if a church in BC is the same as a church in Ontario is the same as a church in Saskatoon. And it's like, actually, if we think of things contextually, um, all sorts of interesting things could sprout up wherever the spirit's at work. It could be a, a traditional looking church. It could be something else. It could be a common cause community or a not-for-profit or a social enterprise. So I think if we have a posture to try to discern what the spirit's up to in our local context, it, that, that pull to start something new 
might, if you're following the spirit, might not end up be a, being a church. And I think that that's, um, that's okay. I'd love to hear an example of this. So do you have a church or group in mind that has adapted a new language or a new expression um, that's really getting it right in your opinion? Well, see, the example that I had was Eucharist Church in Hamilton, which is absolutely totally a church. <laughs> but I think what they do, what they think that they do that's a little bit different is the, is the, is really the community aspect. Um, is the focus on the neighborhood, is the presence in a local sp space rooted in a certain area, and just the way that they have created community and life together. Um, it wouldn't, Sunday morning is not the big experience for them. And so I think even just that would switch you from thinking, oh, this is just a traditional normal church. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a church and doing the churchy things that we do. I just think it's sometimes the languaging and the messaging that we have. Like, we know that in our context and in the culture that we live in, even just having spiritual or sacred kind of experiences together, even using language like that, um, you know, people are super interested in like the yoga studios pre-COVID were full, like we had people doing all sorts of ways to build community together, to, to encounter some kind of practice of some sort. And I, this is what we've been doing for 2000 years as the church. I'm curious in, in the training that you do through the New Leaf Network or that you're part of, what do you think are some of the main building blocks? And I guess what I'm driving at is when people think about reinventing or reimagining uh, church, like, like, like the posture you invited us into here, um, what are some of the irreducible minimums? Is that a fair way to even talk about it? At least wanna see like the teaching the opening of the word together, the life on life discipleship, and then somehow breaking bread and drinking wine together as being partaking in that meal as being part of the minimal viable product. That's terrible. That's startup language, minimal viable product. You know what I mean? At the very minimal, I hope we're doing that. <laughs> yeah, Elle, I, I totally agree. I think that that life on life part and the Eucharist has been everything to me. And I think the reason why church is still, you know, a huge part of uh, our lives so thanks for that um, kind of switching gears a little bit looking forward um, to the future um, it seems that every kind of 500 years the church goes through a major shift kind of like a reformation as one might say um, do you think this is happening now and if it is what are the markers of that Oh, Phyllis Tickle, may she rest in peace, is the first person I ever heard talk about this rummage sale, uh, uh, this faith rummage sale that every 500 years we go through this. Um, and I love her and I got to see her speak and I have goosey bumps on my hand because I just, I love her. I thought she was really onto something profound. So at least in her book, what she talks about in that, in our era is that we're trying to figure out where our, like, where does our authority come from? Um, and I think we are seeing that right now. I think that, I think a rummage sale has like, if we're using the rummage sales as an analogy, like it's kind of nice to clean out the old crap in your house and maybe it's beneficial to someone else, but now you have new space for new things. So a rummage sale isn't always a bad thing. And I think there's a beautiful sifting that's happening right now. You can feel it like COVID, even pre-COVID, you could feel it of like, the shaking of what really is important as a Christ follower, what really matters to our faith, what really matters as the church in Canada. You kind of touched on this, but like tangibly, practically, what kind of opportunities do churches have in COVID right now? 
So I love, that's why I love that word about reigniting your curiosity. So I think uh, being working for an organization that predominantly works with church plants right now, COVID, if you choose to see it that way is kind of like even existing congregations are kind of like church plants. Um, you have the opportunity right now to reimagine and rethink as if you were starting brand new. Well, who are we? Who do we want to be? How do we want to meet? And so I, I, the, um, the innovator part of me kind of gets excited about this because I know that people are um, being forced in some sense, whether they like it or maybe don't like it, to hopefully relook at what they're doing and ask, is this who we want to be when we emerge from this? And so um, I love the curiosity. I love asking questions. I love the concept of discerning together. Okay, God, like, what would you like from us during this season? Like, here we are in this place, in this space, and these are the constraints that we have to work with. Um, you know, we've done some conversations in the last while at New Leaf around design thinking and that idea that like in the business world, designers are given constraints when they're told to come up with something, there's actually constraints. So like if you're making a coffee maker, you know, you, you want that coffee maker to work for people who um, have vision and people who are blind. And so you kind of, you have constraints. If you're a designer doing graphic design work, you're being told, hey, I need this logo to be on a print. I need it to be on a website. There's constraints. And so our constraint right now is COVID. And so there's blessings in being told, hey, you can't say the sky's the limit because right now it isn't. So here's actually the box in the container that we can play in. So spirit, creator God, <laughs> what can we do in this space? So I hope that people, even though there's a sense of grief and even though there's a lament for what, what used to be or what we can't do, I would hope that somehow we could tap into that energy of the spirit to say, okay, but what can we do? We can't do these 10 things, but we can do these five things. And what would that look like? So I'm hoping churches and leaders, once they can, you know, find some strength, because I know a lot of leaders are tired, that they can get to that place where they see the positive side of it, the opportunity to, to recreate or to be curious again about what we're doing as, as faith communities. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a really helpful way to think about it. And it, it almost makes this season feel a little less daunting and uncertain, but a little bit more open, I guess, for all the new things that could be coming our way, which is really exciting. So, Elle, to wrap this up here, um, we put you on notice earlier, but uh, we see you as an expert in this topic. But to kind of just knock you down a couple levels, uh, bring, you, bring you to our level, um, we're asking, is there a story or situation in which you've embarrassed yourself or gotten it wrong in this kind of area of life? So I was a part of, there's an organization um, in Waterloo, or started in Waterloo called Faith Tech. So it's this like group of Christians that are in the tech scene that are trying to like code and hack for Jesus. And it's kind of cool. So they had like this big inaugural event and they wanted me to come and talk about church planting and talk about like um, innovation in churches. And it was like, oh my goodness, it was like 300 people at this like super sexy company, downtown Kitchener. I thought I was so cool. I mean, I rehearsed. I knew that presentation, like the back of my hand. I was trying to channel my inner Rob Bell. Like I was like, I was rocking it out. And I have to confess, I was like, I prepared well for that. I think that went really well. Got up on stage, did my thing. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I get off the stage and I was like, oh, you know, you get that little adrenaline after speaking in front of a big crowd. And my best friend said to me, oh, didn't you see me looking at you? 
I said, what do you mean? Didn't you see me look in? No, what? She said, your fly was down the entire time that you were giving that presentation. I said, what? She's like, the whole time. Like, the whole, whole time. Like, the whole time. And I was, I just, never in my life have I had something like that happen to me. And, and, you know, I hope to Jesus it doesn't happen again. But it was a good reminder to be like, you can do all the right things practice you know and your fly can still be down in front of 300 you know people in your city that you really admire so uh and in the moment it's funny enough i was humiliated and hoped to god that none of the pictures that they took showed my fly down but it was like oh one day this will make a good story so maybe this is i that happened so that i could have a good story to tell you guys but i love that you told us that story um, Elle, we are so grateful for you making time for us today. We want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. And we want to mention to everyone that's listening that we'll be making resources that Elle has mentioned on the podcast available on the New Heights website at newheights.ca. We also will provide link to the New Leaf Network website and the podcast that Elle is part of, which I strongly recommend and encourage you to listen to. And we want to thank those listening for leaning into the awkwardness of this unique year with us as a church. We hope you'll journey through these nine months with us. A big thank you again to Elle, our listeners, our anonymous sponsor, and young Obi Elford for his help with the beats backing our voices. This has been the Re-Podcast. Tune in again two weeks from today.